Welcome to Health System CIO's podcast interview with David Kalber, CMIO at Metro Health. In part two, we talk about the importance of having the right tools and processes when it comes to collecting and leveraging social determinants. The critical role that IT and clinical leaders play, not in identifying problems, but in identifying the right technology to help solve them. What his team has learned by working with Epic's sepsis tool, and why he believes imitation is just as important as innovation. You mentioned earlier uh, social determinants. Can you just talk a little bit about some of what Metro Health is doing there? Uh, just a little bit about the work you're doing. Sure. You know, the first issue is you've got to have a good way to assess social determinants of health factors in your population, right? So, so it's sort of like, you know, no data, no mission type of thing, or, you know, whatever the, the right saying you want to frame that. But, you know, the whole point is like, everybody thinks social determinants of health is really important. But yeah, most people, when you ask about like, what do the social determinants of health look like in your population? Most people have no idea. So the first right. step was to systematically come up with a pool and a process to collect the information. So Epic has what they call the social determinants of health wheel. So it's about a dozen different domains of social determinants of health. So again, you can think about like, you know, education, transportation, uh, substance use, food insecurity, social isolation. Again, there's about a dozen of them. And each one only has one or two questions, right? Because the key is if you already got like a dozen different domains, that's already a couple dozen questions. If each domain has two questions, right? It's just supposed to be screening. So we built the tool. And then the question is, and again, that, that's the foundation, right? So then, okay, great. We've got this good tool. So now how do we populate the tool? I'll just tell you, if you go to a doctor and say, hey, we've got this great new tool. All you have to do is ask a couple dozen more questions during your visit. I mean, that's going to go over like a lead balloon, right? Because it's not like <laughs> right. as doctors, we're just sitting around waiting to ask dozens of more questions, you know, for a visit. Yeah. And, and also the patient did not come in asking me to help with their social determinants of health issues most of the time. They, they asked me to help right. with a different issue, but now how do I collect the social determinants of health information? So we really took an approach where we leveraged the personal health record. So our strategy was we want annually everybody seen routinely, you know, both in kids or, you know, pediatric patients and adults to be screened with these social determinants of health questions. So we do that through our personal health record. So that's probably two thirds of the screening occurs through that. And then we also, if somebody, I mean, anybody can fill it out if they want to at a visit, if then it would probably be less for screening and sort of more for cause. And we also, anytime there's you know, somebody under clinical case management or referral to a social worker, they're supposed to be filling that out. So they have a complete picture of the social determinants of health because it probably impacts what the social worker is going to do or the clinical case manager. So, so anyway, we have this whole tool and then this robust infrastructure that does not rely on the physician or the provider to yeah. collect the information. And then, of course, the next question is, okay, right. Once you collect all the information, what are you going to do with the information? So to me, that's sort of taking two flavors for us. One is we want to analyze. So just to figure out where these correlations, where the opportunities are, that, I mean, this was sort of mind-boggling to me, but do you have any sense in the metro health population, you know, what do you think the number one social determinant of health risk factor is just by volume that the number of patients reported it in the last year? Ooh. 
I'll just tell you, I, I got the question wrong too, so don't feel bad. Usually when we're saying like oh, social right, determinants right. of health, it would be like, you know, food insecurity or domestic violence oh, right. or you know, yes. something okay. like that. So I'll, I'll be honest, I thought it was probably something like financial insecurity. Well, yeah. the answer was actually social isolation, which actually, if you think about okay. the pandemic, isn't that surprising? Yeah. But the reason I tell the story like that is that's the perfect reason why you need to collect data, right? If you just would yeah. have had the leaders of Metro Health figuring out what we should be doing for social determinants of health, we literally would have picked the wrong thing. Right. <laughs> why? Because we didn't yeah. have any data. We were just using our intuition, right? Our best guess. Um, but again, yeah. you don't want to be making guesses on it. You want the data. So anyways, we know that it was social isolation. Um, so then that opens up a whole other possibility. Then, okay, so now that we know it's social isolation, obviously we want to develop programs for all social determinants of health issues, but we really, really, really want to focus on social isolation now that we know that that's the number one yeah. you know, domain reported in our population. The other big sort of technology infrastructure here is that when we look at social determinants of health, the question is of all the different social determinants of health topics, which ones is a healthcare system really, really well situated to deal with? Is it food insecurity? Is it domestic violence? Is it housing insecurity? And you basically say, well, you know, the healthcare system isn't really that well designed to deal with any of these. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? So that's the yeah. problem. But then you say, okay, who is? Well, hey, wait a minute. We've got all of these social service agencies, community-based organizations. We've got the Cleveland Food Bank, Habitat for Humanity, Domestic Women's Shelter. Their whole goal in life is to try to address yeah. these social determinants of health issues. So then how do we put the peanut butter and the chocolate together, right? So now if on the healthcare system side, we know that patients that have these issues and we know there are social service agencies out there that can address them, how do we connect you know, our patients with these documented needs to the social service agencies? So the answer yeah. on the technology side is we need a health information exchange, right? right? So that's all the, I don't know if you're familiar with this space much, but there's all these companies that are popping up with names like yeah. uh, Unitas, NowPow, Aunt Bertha. Mm -hmm. And so then we implemented, we happen to go with Unitas, we implemented a system about a year ago where once, you know, if these needs were identified, then in the same way that I might electronically refer, you know, if you have bad asthma, I might say, hey, you need to receive a pulmonologist. Let me put in the referral for you electronically. We can now do that for social service agencies or community-based organizations as well. That's sort of, you know, the idea of, okay, what, what do you do with that information type of thing? Yeah. Yeah, that's, it's really amazing, um, you know, what you do eventually learn and the process of identifying the problem and addressing it. It's uh really shows how important it is to have this integration or at least a collaboration among uh, different entities that weren't always doing that with health systems. So it's really interesting to see how that has evolved. Yeah. The other thing I guess I would be trying to frame is that, you know, it's not like I came up with the idea of, hey, social determinants are really important. Let's figure out the wheel. Let's figure out the health information exchange for community-based organizations, right? It was my non-IT leadership, right, the CEO and others and the board saying, wow, our healthcare system is a public safety and essential healthcare system. You need to be doing much more in this space. And then, mm -hmm. right, it's an institutional priority. And then as soon as I see that institutional priority, then I get my technology brain saying, okay, now that I know this is a priority for the system, 
what tools can I bring to the table that are really going to help, you know, move the ball forward for our healthcare system with that? And then, of course, you know, other leaders of the system, they're bringing their, you know, non-technology tools. And then, you know, we're making great things happen. But again, I guess the point I'm trying to bring, it doesn't start with the technology people defining the problem. It starts with the system sort of defining the problem. And then, you know, we as technology leaders are bringing our technology sort of tool belt to the, to the house, so to speak, or, or to the, the meeting um, to figure out the solutions that will help from a technology perspective. Yeah, that's an important distinction. And it does speak to what you mentioned at the beginning of that, the goal of getting IT to work for the health system. And it's an interesting take. So to me, my CIO and I, we sort of call ourselves like the technology dyad. Obviously, you know, we have our own priorities like, oh, we need a new data center. Oh, we need to upgrade the servers. Oh, we need a technology refresh, right? But I mean, that's not really being strategic, right? I mean, those are just like, yes, we need all those things and we're going to talk to our leadership and we're going to get the funding for them. But those things are not helping move the healthcare system forward, right? That's just like keeping the lights on type of stuff. So I think one mm-hmm. of the things, the value that I think our bosses would say we really bring is that when they frame an opportunity or a priority for the healthcare system, then we are coming as a strategic partner to talk about what are the technologies that can really um, you know, sort of be a full force multiplier or an enabler of that healthcare system priority. Right. Now, having been in the CIO role there since 2008, has this been, has this been an evolution or just as far as how things were from when you started until now and, uh, you know, forward with, with the IT to, to support the organization's goals? I can imagine that some of the methods have changed, but has that been the basic premise since you started the role? Because I was actually our first chief medical informatics officer, you know, when I got hired. And I would say, you know, for the first couple years, I wasn't exactly sure what my role should be, right? And so for the first couple years, it was sort of like, well, yeah, if somebody told me what to do, you know, I would sort of make it happen. To me, that's sort of like, you know, hopefully every employee does that, right? I mean, if, if your boss tells you to do something that's within your scope, you should be able to deliver on that. If you can't deliver on that, then you probably shouldn't be in your job, right? True. But I think what my evolution is, is that obviously there's always going to be things that my boss is telling me to do. And I, of course, I have to do those things. But I think my evolution is, you know, the problem is my bosses are not going to be technology experts. So if I wait for them to tell me what to do with technology, then that's not going to be, that's really not going to help the system, right? Because literally I know more about technology than they do. So, you know, much yeah. be- it's much better for me to be proactive, right? And reaching yeah. out to figure out what are the problems that our healthcare system is, is trying to, to make progress on. And then me sort of crafting what the solutions could be, knowing what the problems are and knowing what technology can do. So, you know, one of the things I, I do routinely after the first couple of years is, I routinely meet with key stakeholders, which isn't something Mm -hmm. I did in the beginning, right? So I'm meeting with our Population Health Innovation Institute. I'm meeting with our Institute for Quality. I'm meeting with our patient experience people and basically saying, what are the problems that you all are trying to solve? What what are your goals for the next year? And of course, some of the goals are going to have nothing to do, you know, with, with what I can do. Um, but some of the goals, I'd be like, oh, wait a minute. Thank you so much for telling me that. Did you know that I and my team could I... offer you these things, you know, whatever those things are, to help with your goal? 
changing from being more reactive from a technology perspective yeah. to being more proactive. But what that means is, first of all, you as the leader, the technology leader, has to take a very different, you know, sort of psychological approach. And the way you're interacting with your peers, either, you know, your, your similar, you know, VPs or even people above you, it has to be different, right? You, you have to be out there understanding what their problems are um, instead of waiting for them to, to come to you. The other thing, I, you know, my team is, knows I say at nauseum. I had a person come to me today and say, um, hey, I need you guys to help me build a letter in Epic to do X, Y, Z. And I basically told right. him, I said, please don't come to us with a solution, right? If you come to us yeah. with a solution, you're not allowing us to use our expertise. Come to us with your problem, mm. right? And then let us, because we're the technology experts, let us think about yeah. all the possible technology ways that we might be able to solve your problem. And we might end up with the same solution that you recommended, but a lot of times we're gonna have a much broader understanding of what's possible from the technology side. So we will probably come up with a better solution than what yeah. you propose if you allow us to do that by telling us what the problem is and not just the solution that you want. Yeah, really interesting. I mean, you might already have something that could help solve that or you know, it might just be being approached the wrong way, but that's an interesting way to look at it. Do we talk briefly yeah. about this sort of sepsis case study? Yeah, I mean, we can we can certainly talk about it. I yeah, really I mean, again, just to, to briefly talk about it, I mean, sure. to me, one of the technologies horizon things is this idea, you know, how can we use, you know, Epic calls it cognitive computing or artificial intelligence, machine learning, predictive analytics. Everybody has these really fancy words. But, you know, it's basically this concept of when you have a whole bunch of data, how can you forecast something that might happen to a patient in such a way that you can intervene earlier than you might otherwise and therefore change that predicted outcome or that forecasted outcome? You know, Epic has a sepsis model, which is a good example of that. But I think it's, it's also an interesting, again, if you, if you follow the paradigm, I've just tried to sort of outline here what happened. So, you know, what we did is we recognized that it seemed like we had more people having morbidity and mortality from sepsis than we wanted, right? So again, that has nothing to do with technology, right? That's the system opportunity. So then yeah. I and my team are in a meeting and saying, hey, if we want to improve sepsis, one of the things that we could bring from the technology side is, is Epix that now has this sepsis prediction tool. So, okay, let's implement it, right? So I think the challenge is predictive tools are, are very complicated relative to being to implement. Why? Because, you know, the prediction rule was based on other people's data. Yeah. Okay. Right. And so what we had to do is we implemented it in our system and then we actually did a, a test. And we do this a lot when we have different types of alerts. We turn it on the background. And so what we want to do is seeing, you know, where is this tool going to work well and where is it not going to work well? So we looked at three different situations. So first we looked in the ICU and in the ICU, it worked great. The only problem in the ICU was all of the things that you would do for someone that you thought was going to have sepsis, they were already being done in the ICU because right. those patients are already so sick. So they're already on yeah. fluids and, and IV antibiotics. So even though the tool worked great, there was no opportunity to intervene, you know, not, not a good use case. Then we looked on the regular medical surgical floor 
And what happened there was that it just gave a whole bunch of false positives. So we basically said, like, it just doesn't make sense to use it here because we're going to be firing all these false alarms, doing all this extra stuff to just help a very, very small number of people. But then the third place we looked was in the emergency department. And so in the emergency department, it seemed to have pretty good sensitivity and specificity, right? So not too many false positives, not too many false negatives. And the emergency department was early enough in their hospital stay that there was actually things we could do, like trying to start you know, IV antibiotics earlier. Um, so we thought based on just turning it on silently everywhere, that the emergency department was a good place to go. Um, and so then we did this you know, randomized quality improvement initiative where we turned it on for half the patients coming to the ED. And the intervention was to alert the pharmacist. The pharmacist would then evaluate the patient. And if they sort of agreed with the prediction, then they would start antibiotics. And what we showed was that the antibiotics were started usually several hours earlier than in the, in the control group, so to speak. And this gets to my point that I tried to make at the beginning. So, you know, if you look at our intervention, the main outcome we looked at were days alive and out of the hospital, like in, in a 30-day mm. period. So it was statistically significant. So we did decrease days alive and out of the hospital. But if you look at the details of that, you know, the average days alive and out of the hospital was about 20 days. And so this intervention only decreased that by less than one day. So it sort of gets back to my point at the beginning where, you know, absolutely, if you're one of those patients that just spent one day less in the hospital, you know, days alive and out of the hospital, and if you were a payer and now you have to pay for one less day, I mean, all those things are great, but it's not like we went from, you know, these patients are spending 20 days to now they're only spending two days, right? So, so again, if you look at a percentage difference, we only improved that number by basically like 5%. Right. But it does speak to, this is sort of a nice bookend to this whole article out of the the University of uh, Michigan, which was a couple months earlier than ours, that basically the message from that was the sepsis model just doesn't really work that well. And so again, I would say the difference is, is that their findings were true and our findings are true, right? So the problem is they didn't try to customize their findings to their healthcare system where we did. Yeah, and that's a pretty important distinction now. It's a pretty important, but I, and I would say even if you, if you look at all of our Davies studies, you know, p- again, part of the challenge is you've got to understand your local problems and how your, what your local patients and your local processes are. You've got to understand what the technology can do, and then you've got to map the technology to, again, the local priorities, the local operations, the local patients. And I think to the extent that you don't do that, that's where you're likely to run into problems. And I'd say those two studies are just an example of that. Now, certainly I would say, you know, one of my strategies, I always try to, you know, emulate is what I call the fast follower strategy. Someone else has already found something that works really, really, really well. Um, You know, there's no point in me reinventing the wheel. I should study that case study. Doesn't mean I should take it lock, stock and barrel, um, but I should study that. And then, you know, if and as needed, adapt it to my healthcare system. But that's probably going to be easier to do than, you know, starting from, from scratch. Yeah. I was on the call with uh, Judy Faulkner one time, CEO of Epic, and she said, all these healthcare systems keep talking to me about chief innovation officers. And I think yeah. people should have chief imitation officers much more than they should have chief innovation <laughs> officers. 
Oh, I like that. It's true. Like you said, you, you don't have to reinvent the wheel, but you also don't have to do it exactly the same using these concepts. And uh, there, there's a lot of value there. Very cool. To me, the SEPs is just one example of a whole strategy mm-hmm. that we've taken, yeah. you know, for may, maybe not the full 12 years that I've been here, because it took me a couple of years to figure it all out. But <laughs> literally for the last decade, yeah of sort of, you know, how to do things with technology. It just so happens, you know, the sepsis example is one of the more recent ones that seem to get a little bigger, you know, sort of play in the press. But but again, it's just, it's the, it's the 25th or the 27th or whatever. Yeah, really, really interesting stuff. Give me a lot to, lot to think about. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.